bank wants to start reselling cars or selling spare parts or engaging in betting, it is not in the object clause. That is outside its defined activities. And if that kind of act is thought to be done, it is ultra-various, it is beyond power. Welcome to the Fit and Proper Podcast by DigiLaw. Your host, Kenyukembe Ubi, and co-host, Ade Dino, Ade Shokon. Hello, you're welcome to today's episode of the Fit and Proper Podcast. My name is Kenyukembe Ubi, and with me today is Ade Dino, Ade Shokon. So today we'll be talking about corporate governance, another aspect of corporate governance, which involves majority rule minority protection and the investigation of companies so how are you doing today i'm i'm good let me go with the generic answer i'm good i'm good and you i'm fine too so i heard that um the school recently released um the calendar the long awaited calendar and um, i'm wondering how do you feel about it i know that it's a bit like no you should just come and write exams how how do i feel about that calendar though i think um I was actually exhausted when I saw it because, I mean, exams are in April and that's still quite far. And this just looks like an extended phase of our lives. But we can't do anything. Now. Complaining does not help. So, like, for me, I'm just trying to put myself in the best mental state to accept what has been said and pray that there will be no second wave of COVID-19 that would cause another lockdown. Oh, yeah. Yes. Let's hope for God that that doesn't happen. As in... As in, that's just the hope I'm praying now. All right. So let's get down to business for today. Can you give right. a, um, a brief overview of what um, corporate governance, um, sovereignty, sorry, means and what is, and how it relates to POS, um, the case of POS and uh, versus um, Haboto? All right. Okay. So yeah, today we'll be talking about corporate governance five, which deals with majority rule, minority protection, and other incidental matters there too. So yeah, corporate sovereignty from the name, corporate dealing with company, sovereignty, which refers to power and authority. So corporate sovereignty basically refers to the principle whereby a company has the power to conduct its affairs by itself. And what that means is that the the implication of that is that a company is is in the best position, is, is the position allowed by the law to organize its affairs. I would explain further. So corporate sovereignty is an offshoot of corporate personality. Corporate personality is the um, legal fiction that gives a company a separate personality. A company is a creation of law. So it has this artificial person, the legal person. So how it, how it basically relates to force and harbor too, which is, can be found in section 299 of the old farmer, the rule of force and harbor too, is that it, when a wrong is done to a company, or an irregularity has been performed, the company is the proper person to remedy that wrong or ratify the irregular conduct, not okay. the minority. That's why it's also called majority rule. So, like the, the way it works is the way a company works is by default the majority has their say. So we've talked about resolutions and co. You see how the resolutions work: ordinary resolutions, simple majority, um, special resolution, three fourths. So. Typically, it's the company and not a uh, not minority members of the company that can sue, so to speak. A company is a proper person. A company can sue for itself. That's the general rule. So that's what's in that case. I think two 
shareholders sued some directors for some wrongdoing and stuff and the court heard that even if a wrong has been done to the company it's not the directors that have the right to sue the company can sue for itself it is the proper thing so that's the rule basically oh, okay all right so like for every rule yeah there is going to be an exception. So what are the exceptions to this ruling first versus Hamilton? Okay, because we would explain the exceptions one by one, I'll just um, list them. So there are about six exceptions in the statute that, that we are following, that law school is following, which is uh, section 300. So one of the exceptions is when the act is illegal or ultra-virus. Another one is when you, are, when you, when you do, or when you want to do by ordinary resolution, something that ought to be done by special resolution. Another exception where this majority rule for of corporate sovereignty will apply is where an act of omission is done and it affects the individual right of a member. Another is where fraud is committed on the company or on the minority shareholders and the directors fail to rectify that fraud. Another one is where a company meeting cannot be called in time to be of practical use. You know, correcting that wrong. We've talked about meetings. So Yes, there is extraordinary general meeting that can be called at any time, but there are some situations where, as a matter of urgency, that meeting cannot be called in time. So mm. that majority rule will be set aside for that purpose. And the last one in the statute is where the directors are likely to derive a benefit or profit from their breach of duty or negligence. So in these six circumstances, the majority rule, which says the company is the proper plaintiff, would be watered down for fairness. Mm. And equity. Okay, all right. So we'll take the exceptions one by one now, starting with um entering into any transaction which is illegal and ultra virus. Can you explain okay. that? Okay, so what that simply means is where what is sought to be done by the company is something illegal or something against the law or against public policy or something beyond its powers. You know, if you check the memorandum of accession of a company. The, there's a restriction of powers clause. You have the object clause that says what the company was formed for. So a company is not allowed to go beyond the objects in its object clause ordinarily. So where that is sought to be done, then the a minority, the minority shareholder can come in and challenge that action. And if you even check the law, it even gives this power to either a minority shareholder or a debenture holder secured by floating charge to challenge. So, so I think an example that will make it clear is maybe uh, you have a comp- maybe a bank, so to speak, and to carry out banking transactions, and the bank wants to start maybe selling cars or selling spare parts or engaging in betting. It is not in the object clause. That is outside its defined activities. And if that kind of act is thought to be done, it is ultra rarest. It is beyond power. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's basically how that works. Okay, all right. Um, let's, let's go to the next one, which is, um, purporting to do an ordinary, to do by ordinary resolution, any act which by its constitution or act is required to be done by special resolution. Okay. I think a case would explain this, but there's this case, Edwards and Aliwell, and essentially what happened in that case was that, um, the constitution of the trade union or the rules of the organization specified that to carry out this particular act, you need to get to sort a particular number of votes. So it was special. It was not just simple majority. The rules say, okay, because of the, the importance of this particular act, you need this number of votes. And they didn't do that. So the 
plaintiff was allowed to challenge. It was a minority, but it was allowed to challenge that because they went against the, the stipulation of the constitution. So what that just means is if if your article, you have the article of the government and they say, okay, maybe the article say before you can remove the managing director because you, there are some positions that are quite key so it will not be abused. Before you can remove the managing director of this company, uh, you need 75% of votes in a general meeting. So if you, they have only 50% and they remove the managing director, that is wrong and it can be challenged. That's essentially how that works. Oh, okay. So um, the next one would be um, an act or omission affecting the applicant's individual rights as a member. Okay, so how this works is, yes, as a member, when we did, when there was membership, I think I was one that did that uh, the last time I was here. When there was, um, for as a member, there are certain rights you're entitled to, such as voting rights, right to notice of meeting, and all that and all that. So if that right is not granted you by the company, you can enforce, you can go to court and say, they refuse to count my vote. They they've disenfranchised me before doing this. It's wrong, and the court would enforce that for you. That's usually what happened in the case of Penda and Washington. That's that's as simple as that goes. Okay. Then, um, what what about um committing fraud on either the company or the minority shareholders, where the director fails to take appropriate action to redress the wrong? Okay. So this one is very linked to the next one, the last one after this, but this one is limited to, like, like it said, fraud, where there is, where there is an, not just an intent to defraud, but that fraud carried out by those in control. Okay. So in that, in that kind of situation, because, and you know, usually directors have a number of shares. Directors are allowed to have shares. In fact, one of the um, documents that companies give is register of directors shareholding. There's, there's a minimum number of shares they're meant to have. So, Imagine these guys are the ones in charge and they are the ones that have committed the fraud. So if if you are going by the majority rule, it will be self-defeating because they are the majority shareholders. Yeah, yeah. You get. So now minorities can the minority shareholders cannot come together. These people are the ones in charge and they are the ones that are running this company down and the court would come to their aid. I think that's how derivative action works if we get there more reset. Okay. Then um I think the last one here should be or where the directors are likely to derive a profit or benefit or have profited or benefited from their negligence or their breach of duty. Precisely. I think this is linked to the fiduciary nature of the duty of a director. Their, their relationship with a company is special because mm, it's this sort of burden on this sort of relationship of trust between the director and the company. So if by virtue of their negligence, their breach of duty of care, they benefit, then they should they should be put in check. So, so it's just how we always say equity will not allow a wrongdoer to benefit from his wrongdoing. So yeah. that's essentially how we work. So there's this um, case, Daniels and Daniels, if I'm correct. Yeah, and in that case, the directors that were majority shareholding, they used their position as directors to influence a particular contract, to influence the sale of one of the company's um, assets to themselves at a very low price, and they now resold it at a very at a much higher price. So they benefited from that wrongdoing, and a minority shareholder had to go to court, and the court had to hear the cry of that person because it was obvious that they abused their position as shareholders mm. for their own benefit and equity would not allow that. Mm. Okay, so in that case, since we are done with that, who can then bring an action against the company? Like you've mentioned some of them, but like I want you to go more into it. Okay, okay. So this is even specifically provided for in the Act, I think Section 302. So generally speaking, a member is the person that is entitled to bring an action against 
a company. And member here is wide enough to cover one, the shareholders of a company whose names are in the register of members. Two, the personal representatives of a deceased member. Three, any person to whom shares have been transferred or transmitted to by operation of law. So the definition of member is not restrictive. It's wide enough to cover a number of entities. And for Trawires that we treated, it, the law also provides that a debenture holder is secured by floating charge is also allowed. And there's this, also this special provision in for um, relief for unfairly prejudicial acts. This one is quite wide because I think it's, it's the creation of equity that got incorporated into the act. So it covers even past members, past directors. The idea is just to protect anybody that can allege that acts of the company can be have been unfair. So essentially, a member, that's the first thing that comes to mind. This is minority protection and the members make up the minority. But in different contexts, that definition can be widened. Mm, okay. So in what ways can minority rights be protected in a company? Okay. Um, three basic ways, so to speak. Three basic ways. You have the personal action or members direct action. You have the representative action. You have the derivative action. I'll just breeze through them. The personal action is where a member seeks to protect his own personal rights. We talked about that under the exceptions, the case of Pender and Washington. So you have yeah. a member who whose right has been breached and is he or she is coming to enforce that personal right. It's as simple as that. Representative representative action sounds like I know most law school students where they will have heard that to be civil litigation. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the vibe is similar. The vibe of representative action is civil litigation similar to it in corporate because you're just talking about a class, a group, a defined class of group, maybe let's say in, in the t- in terms of company law, talking about maybe a class of shareholders who have been affected by the company's act or by some act and they are coming as a class to enforce their class rights, okay. so to speak. While derivative action, that one is the special one, so sue is the special one. And how that works is you are your right to sue is derived from the company's right to sue. That's why it's called derivative action. So you are suing the co- you are suing on behalf of the company to more or less protect the company. And there are some grounds. They are like one of the grounds is the fact that the people who are in control, who are meant to sue, who are meant to take the action, have refused to do so. So that's um wrongdoers in control. We saw that too when we we're looking at the exception. So in a situation where the yes. directors imagine if directors are the Typically, directors are the ones to initiate actions on behalf of the company, in the name of the company, but they are the ones that usually initiate such things. And imagine they are the ones that you have an issue against. So would they initiate an action against themselves? No, no. It's just like how people are making mockery of the Lagos panel. Like, the Lagos State government invited the army, and the panel that is sitting to investigate the action is going to report to the Lagos State government. So it's like, hmm. can you be a judge in your own case? That's essentially how it is. Because someone will lose the person that convened that panel and now they are investigating his actions. So that's just how that derivative action works. So a, a, a person, I said like, it's, I can compare how derivative action works to how the grievances people have with the Lagos panel. So like, the vibe for derivative action is that the wrongdoers are in control. That's the director. They are the ones you have an issue with. So, and you, they don't want to initiate the action. That's why you do, you go there on behalf of the company. So it's just like how Lagos panel works. The, the panel is investigating the Lekki massacre for which it has been, I think the army confessed that the Lagos state government invited them. And this pa- same panel is answerable to the Lagos state government. So it's self-defeating, mm. self-defeating. More like, or less, yes. Self-defeating. That's why some people are really against the, they see it as a time-wasting endeavor. 
you can't be a judge in your own case. Own case, yeah. So I think those three personal representative derivative actions. Those are the three ways minority rights are protected in a company. Okay, all right. So can you take us through the process of drafting a petition and other processes for the purpose of um, protecting minorities? Oh, so um, I peruse. I try to peruse past questions and. The the one that comes out most is the letter for application for investigation. Letter for application mm-hmm. for investigation. And I would briefly go through that. So the letter for application for investigation takes the standard format of a letter. So you, your ethics knowledge can also be applied here. You have your letterhead. I think the ground rule in law school, if you draft your letter without letterhead, you've already donated some marks to the well-being of the DG. So you have your letterhead, the company's name, address, RF, your ref date. Then you have your address C. The person the letter is addressed to, that will be the Registrar General, Corporate Affairs Commission, Abuja. Mm-hmm. Your salutation, guess how much. The title of that letter is going to be Application to Investigate the Affairs of Ajanli Kuku, Nigeria Affairs, post mm-hmm. 1 to section 314. So if that is in caps, you don't need to line, you just have that. So the first paragraph of the letter is just used the formal letter no sir you introducing the purpose of the letter we the members of adani Kuku company who bear not less than one-fourth of the shares of the company thereby apply for investigation of the affairs of the above named company as the csme direct just anything around that line then your next paragraph which is most likely the last paragraph will state the ground for that investigation maybe management of funds fraud and all that then your complimentary clause yours faithfully at Digital mm-hmm. on behalf C slash O on behalf of the African. So I think that's the that's the process that typically comes out. The other ones like petition originating someone like okay let me draw the distinction now. Derivative action is commenced by way of originating someone while an action under section three eleven for unfairly prejudicial conduct is commenced by way of petition. So this petition and originating someone they are more or less formed. So you don't you can just look at it and it is more or less a form. It's not something to be learned, so to speak. It's just something to be filled. But for the letter, just have to master the format and how it works and how it works. Mm. All right. So from what you said now, you in what scenarios can the um, Corporate Affairs Commission investigate a company and how does this investigation usually play out? Okay. Investigation of the company is provided for in sections 3, 1, 4, 5, thereabouts of Kama. Let me let me say Kama Law School because I know <laughs> I saw yesterday that the new Kama has been gazetted, so it is literally yes. it is now in force. But since our fathers in law school have not said anything, you go by their last words. So by mm-hmm. section three one four three one five of Kama Law School, um, you see how investigation is there and how how it works is the affairs of a company. Uh, you want it to be investigated basically. So that application it can come from members of the company. The requirement is there must is either they are one fourth of the total members or one fourth of a class of members. For the okay. So the members of the company are the, the ones that can apply and. Even the CAC SOMOTU by its own motion can apply for investigation of the company or if the court directs the CAC to. And the possible ground for such investigation is maybe fraud has been committed or the affairs of the company are co- conducted in a fraudulent manner and or there's just the affairs of the company are conducted unfairly or prejudicially to the particular class of people or the company was formed for fraudulent or unlawful purposes, or the promoters or directors are guilty of fraud to the members 
And finally, the last thing in the act is the members are not given information that they ought to be given. Yeah, you know, the there's a lot of corporate regulations and make it compulsory to keep the members of the company up to date because I mean these people are financially interested in the company. So you don't you don't withhold information from them. So if yeah. that is found, then there, that can be a ground for investigation. And what the CAC basically does, how it works is they will appoint inspectors to run their to do their thing just like some auditing and the inspectors would do that and submit a report back to the CAC, which the CAC acts on. So that report can be if the report shows that no there's no there's no hassle, nothing may be done, but if the if the report shows that there's been foul play it can be ground for civil or criminal proceedings or even for winding up of company. Mm, okay. I, I think that we've actually come to the end of this episode. But before we go, I just want to ask, like, in, in preparation for law school, what are the things, um, law school exams, bar exams specifically, what are the things that our listeners, especially people who are writing the bar exam, can take note of as they prepare for their exams? Okay. Um, for this topic, I, you can check, um, 2016, um, past questions, question five. One of the questions there talks about, um, deals with investigation. And that's where you even see a letter being drafted properly letter for of application for investigation and that that can help also take note of the fine differences that occur like for mcqs they could ask for for when originating summons is used and when petitions and i already mentioned that under section 311 for unfairly prejudicial conduct you make use of petition you come by way of petition under derivative action section 303 you come by way of originating summons that's something to take note of and i think corporate governance five is 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 it flows maybe because there's there's a sort of foundation from university, so yeah. it's it's not necessarily complicated as when compared to maybe things that outrightly new like financial statements and all that and all that. <laughs> so I think if if they take note of this, yeah, I'm sad I'm saying if they, as if I'm not part. If we take note of these things, <laughs> then uh, I think CG five would be. A walkover. Okay, all right. Thank you very much, Adid Dionrong, for joining us today. It's been great having you on today's episode. Thank you, Katie Ken, for this to be here. So, to our audience, please fill our feedback forms and let us know the topics you would like us to address. Also, feel free to reach out to us through social media if you have questions and suggestions. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at DigilOMG. You can also show your support by subscribing to our podcast on Google and Apple Podcasts. And give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts, of course, because, you know, we love us. And if you use Anchor to listen, you can click the favorite button so you get notified anytime we release a new episode. And if you are too shy to, you know, type or you prefer to, you know, want, you want us to hear your sweet voice. You can send uh, us your questions by recording your messages on Anchor and we will get back to you with answers. Um, and, all, and also, we appreciate your feedback. We hope you've had a great time today. Till we meet again, I remain your host, KK Ubi. Stay fit and stay proper. Thank you. And that's all for today's episode of the Fit and Proper Podcast, a digital production. For more about DigiLaw, you can check out our website at www.digilaw.com.ng. Follow us on social media. On LinkedIn, we are at DGL Africa. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at DigiLawNG. The Fit and Proper Podcast was hosted by 
KU Kemi Obi and Ade Diron Ade Shokun. The scriptwriter is KU Kemi Obi. Production and editing is by Akin Ifrayin Agumbiade. And while the voiceover is by Fashion Adibi. Until we meet again, stay fit and stay proper.